6. Buys an automobile and despise him because we can't figure where he got the money with which to do it. We aren't satisfied with having 50.000. We want 500.000. And if we should get it, we would be just as dissatisfied and go chasing after a million. What's the matter with us? Are we crazy? Some women spend 50.000 a year on their clothes. Whose mothers dressed better, looked better, felt better and were better on 500 or even a single hundred. In our mad chase after vain things how blind we are to be things of true worth and fullness. Every little while we get a shop that ought to bring us to our senses. When we learn of a terrible railroad wreck, we may expect to find the blame placed on someone for disobeying orders, or for other carelessness. But the true cause in nearly every instance is the cry of the public of you and me and the other fellow for speed more speed and still more speed. The greatest marine disaster in the world's history was the staking of the magnificent White Star Line steamship, the Titanic, in April, 1912. Remove your cover sheet and display figure 64, larger, faster and more costly than any vessel ever before built. It left its docks with its hundreds of passengers and members of the crew of floating city in itself. Among the passengers were many whose names are recorded on the rolls of the world's greatest scientists, financiers, artists and authors, with eager, happy hearts. They looked forward to the celebration in New York which awaited the arrival of this foremost of the world's floating palaces. Alas, it was never to be. The story is too horrible for repetition. The fatal collision with the great iceberg the heroism, the sacrifice, the loss of hundreds of precious lives as the vessel plunged into the depths of the ocean are known in all their horror. Add lines to produce figure 65. The few in the lifeboats, looking toward the sinking vessel, heard the ship's band playing nearer. My God, to thee, as the great ship, with its living load sank from sight, hundreds of broken hearts still mourn the loss of dear ones, and all because the big, loaded ship was forced to run a race with time. Those in charge knew of the presence of the icebergs. They could have saved the loss by changing their route or slackening their speed. But the cry was, hurry, hurry, break the record. Aren't we all doing the same thing? The speed mania possesses us. The senseless race for worldly wealth and honor blinds us to the presence of threatened disaster. Let us quickly change our course. Christ our master, points the way of safety. He has gone that way himself. And he asks each humble follower to take the course which he has so plainly marked out. It is the way of truth and peace. If we take it. We shall avoid every danger of a spiritual crash, which may mean disaster for soul as well as body. Warmth and coldness Sunday rest a talk on Sunday observance and its relation to the Christian life. The lesson that the things we think and do on the Lord's Day are a true index of our character. The importance of the matter of Sunday observance must not be underestimated by the teacher whose endeavor it is to mold into true manhood and womanhood the lives of the boys and girls in her care. The talk. How many of you boys and girls ever played the game called hide the thimble? Uh, I thought so nearly everybody. One person bides the thimble and all the others try to find it, the one who discovers it first gets the chance to hide it the next time. Sometimes, the one who has hidden it assists the others to find it by saying, you are warm or you are cold, depending upon the nearness to or the distance from the hidden thimble. When we stop to think about it, we find that many things in the world are just like this game. Your life and mine are a great deal like it. Sometimes there is something within us that tells us we are wandering away from God that tells us we are growing cold. And then, if we heed the warning, we hear the same voice saying we are growing warmer. 
and we know it to be true for we feel the assurance that we are nearer to the master than before. I am going to draw on the paper this morning a thermometer, and with this thermometer we shall make some tests to see just what it means to be warm Christians or cold ones. Draw the thermometer. Figure 66. Complete. Accepting the liquid in the bulb. Now we are ready to make the test, and we are going to do it by finding out how we spend our Sundays. Why? Because if you can know just how a boy or girl or a man or woman spends the Lord's Day, you can tell pretty nearly just what kind of a person that one is in the sight of Jesus Christ. God gave us this one day for our greatest good. He wants us to use it as a day which shall make us strong and well, bright and happy. If we use it any other way, we are sure to make one of the greatest mistakes of our lives. So certain is God that we must have a day of rest and a building once in each seven days that he made a law concerning it. It is one of the Ten Commandments, which says that we must remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God knows best, when he establishes a law, it must not be broken or the one who breaks it will suffer. If the child touches fire with his hand, after being warned by his mother not to do it, his suffering is the result of doing what the mother forbade. When God tells us to keep his day holy, every one of us who disobeys that command must suffer. Let us see how it works. Bishop Vincent says, Sunday is ill spent if it sends us back to our weekly work irritated, weary and reluctant and Sunday will never do that for us unless we misuse the day which God has given us. If we spend the day in worrying about our everyday affairs, if we spend it in chasing around after senseless amusements which weary the body without enlightening the heart and the mind, if we allow ourselves to follow paths which lead away from truth and right, then we will show up Monday morning irritated weary and reluctant and our Sunday observance temperature is low indeed, with red chalk, fill the bulb and a portion of the thermometer tube, completing figure 66, but Bishop Vincent also says, Sunday is well spent if it sends us back refreshed in body, mind and spirit to take up our duties with new inspiration of hope, patience and courage, and we can all do this, and, as we do it, we shall find a growing delight in it. If we have been wasting our Sundays spending them in such a way that when Monday morning comes we look back upon the Sabbath with regret let us begin right now to form habits which shall make Sunday a delight the brightest, the most restful, the most interesting, the most refreshing of all times, and let us be thankful that a day of this kind can come to us so often, it is then that our Sunday observance temperature will rise to its highest point, with red chalk add lines to complete figure 67, Dr. Lyman Abbott. Like many others points out the folly of attending church services in the morning and then passing the remainder of the day in noisy or wearisome celebration. He calls it a weekly composite of Thanksgiving and Fourth of July. Thanksgiving in the quiet of the morning, and Fourth of July in the noisy afternoon. Such an observance of the day is displeasing to God who gave us the day for our greatest good and not to be wasted in idleness and folly. Keeping the Lord's day holy doesn't deprive us of activity but it changes the course of our action from paths of wastefulness to fields of the greatest good. There are many things to do on Sunday, and in the doing of some of them right at your hands, you will have discovered the best way for you to get the most out of one of God's greatest gifts to his children. The Desert and the Mountain Decision Day Conversion A Decision Day Illustration from the Far West, Living Water. The lesson that as the desert cannot become productive until it receives the waters of irrigation, so the arid soul if it is to become fruitful, must receive the water of life. While this illustration is especially applicable to the service of decision day, it is recommended for any occasion where there is opportunity to speak of conversion or a returning to Christ. 
The talk. A gentleman, a little past middle life, was traveling from the east in a luxurious passenger train crossing one of the far western states. As he gazed from the car window, his face wore an expression of interest, which developed into one of wonder and excitement. Can it be? He exclaimed, addressing the man who sat with him, that I am passing through the very same country which I saw but a few short years ago. It seems impossible. Now, why did it seem impossible? Let us find out. It appears that when the man traveled the state before, he looked out of the car windows upon a scene of barrenness and desolation. As you speak, draw figure 68 with brown crayon. Be sure to leave the mountain peaks white. But, in order to secure an impressive pastel effect use the broad side of your brown and your yellow crayons lightly over the entire area of desert and mountain side. The earth was dry and parched, and in all directions, as far as the eye could see, grew only the sagebrush the mark of the desert. There was no life, excepting an occasional coyote, and the reflected heat and light made travel almost unbearable. The monotonous earth was composed of the level deposits of the mountains which the sun had baked for centuries. As you continue, change the scene by covering the brown with green. Draw the foliage of the trees with green and the trunks with brown. Life may be added by touching the trees with the red and the yellow and the orange to indicate the fruit. The thought is to transform the desert into a place of fruitfulness. This completes figure 69. But now, all was changed as if by a magic touch. In place of the sagebrush and the broad wastes of baking earth, the man beheld here great orchards, with hundreds of fruit trees, laden with glistening apples, oranges and pears, and wide fields were covered with bounteous crops of grain. The one-sided wilderness was now the fertile dwelling place of many happy families. What had wrought this great change? Nothing but the hand and mind of man. Guided by the maker of the universe, who seems to have stored rich treasures everywhere for those who will reach out for them. It happened in this way, one day, a certain man beheld the snow-capped mountains cold and forbidding and then he turned his gaze to the earth parched and dead. He knew that if he could only unite the waters of the snow-capped mountains with the dead earth below them, the desert would blossom as the rose. Before this thing happened, two-thirds of the entire area of the United States was a desert waste, but the waters were brought down and the great transformation followed, gradually, the arid waste is disappearing and the forces of irrigation are expanding, and the vast western country is unfolding to the millions who are spreading over its newly discovered areas of wealth, let us turn quickly to the application, there are, in every community, many human deserts men and women, boys and girls, whose unproductive lives need the waters of life to make them blossom and bring forth fruit in his kingdom, perhaps they have beheld him only as a cold, forbidding mountain peak, and if this is true, they should catch the spirit of the psalmist who cried, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water island, in the case of the desert, it is conversion, pure and simple, may the heavenly waters of his grace come to each one of us today, whether it be a first decision to be united with him, or whether it be a decision to return to him whom we have deserted, our duty toward our fellow men conies before us happily in these words from the prophet Isaiah, If thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and afflicted soul, thou shalt be like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Reflecting and blessing helpfulness testimony those who are the light of the world should be a guide to those who are in darkness. The lesson that those who have received the light from God's word should gladly reflect that light to those about them. The central thought of this illustration is the responsibility which rests upon God's children in the spreading of the brightness of Christianity to those who must receive it through them. 
it is appropriate for many occasions and will fit audiences of all ages in which the children form a part. The talk. It is said that once upon a time a teacher asked a boy to tell her whether the sun or the moon is of the greater importance to the world. The moon, replied the boy. Why, inquired the teacher, do you think the moon is of more benefit to the world than the sun is? Because, said the boy, the moon shines at night when we need it, but the sun shines only in the daytime when we do not need it. That was certainly a strange kind of an answer, wasn't it? I will draw the earth and the moon to show more plainly just how mistaken the boy was. Draw the earth circle and the moon circle, and show the shaded parts as you proceed. Here we had the earth with one half in darkness, and here is the moon with one half in darkness. This side of the earth is light, while this other side would be very dark indeed if it were not for the rays of light coming from the moon. Like this, draw dotted line showing rays of light going from the moon to the earth. Completing figure 70. Now, then we ask, can the moon shine upon the earth all of itself without any help? Uh, no and that is the thing the boy didn't know, or he never would have answered as he did. Where does the moon get its light from? Yes, from the sun. I will draw part of a circle to represent the sun day draw the sun, and this dotted line draw dotted line from sun to moon. Completing figure 71 shows how the sun sends its brilliant light to the moon so that the moon may reflect part of it back to the earth which would be enshrouded in darkness if it were not for the sun. The moon acts just like a mirror which you hold in your hand and use to reflect the sun's rays wherever you please. Sometimes the moon gets between the earth and the sun day and it is then that it does not reflect the sun's light and it is then that we have nights of inky blackness. I wonder if we have ever stopped to think how very much we Christian people are, or ought to be, like the moon, just as the sun warms and lights everything about it. So the love of God lights and warms those who turn their faces toward him. We can truly say with the psalmist, that the Lord is my light and salvation, but we have not fulfilled our mission on earth if we are willing merely to receive this light of happiness, of contentment, of trust and of faith, without reflecting it in every possible practical way. When Jesus said to those about him, Ye are the light of the world, he also said, Let your light shine and he pictured to his followers their duty of spreading the light of their blessings to the world of darkness about them. Paul touched upon the same great truth when he wrote to the church at Rome that its members should be a light to them which are in darkness. How may we best reflect this light of heaven? It is for each of us to determine this for himself, being governed entirely by his circumstances, his abilities and his opportunities. But, first of all, we must be sure we have received that light as God would have us receive it. None of us can be perfect, but we can live close to our great ideal and by learning constantly from him, we shall find the light coming to us more clearly and more beautifully as the days go by. We shall find a deeper sympathy for those who suffer, warmer love for those whom we may have condemned, and an increasing desire to be of greater help to those who really need help. When we have reached this condition when we have truly received the light we need give little thought to the manner in which we shall reflect it. Abraham Lincoln once said, I do the best I know, the very best I can, and I mean to keep right on doing so till the end. Such a life sends its rays down through the generations that are to follow, and its reflected light never fades away. Hidden Sunshine Missionary Day Love How the warmth and brightness stored away ages ago are now of service to man. The lesson that the true missionary spirit is the spreading abroad of the warmth of God's blessings which we have received. The principles governing missions are permeated with the elements of love and selfishness and self-sacrifice. This talk may be used, therefore, 
as a missionary day topic or on any occasion in which it is appropriate to dwell upon any of its attributes. The talk. Once upon a time, long before there were any people on the earth and perhaps before there were any animals or birds or reptiles here, the world was covered with an immense, luxuriant growth of vegetation. How do we know it? The geologists tell us so. They have dug deep into the earth and they have examined what they found, and they have long ago determined that this condition is true. It would seem that in those ages of long ago the world must have been very different from what it is now. For the seas flowed over vast areas which are now solid ground, immense trees grew in those times, and the great ferns and palms and tropical plants grew in portions where now they cannot grow because it is too cold. I want to draw some trees and bushes to represent this great growth. Draw trees and bushes of figure 72 in green, and also the bright warm sun which, together with the abundance of water, caused them to grow so profusely. Draw the sun in orange, completing figure 72. Then, the geologists tell us, there came a great change. There were awful volcanic disturbances which caused the sea to overflow great areas of these trees and bushes and ferns, and they were buried from sight by a vast expanse of water. Gradually, though, another change came. The waters receded into lesser areas and the ground arose from beneath the waves, but the trees and the bushes and the ferns were gone. Where? They had been buried deep beneath the mud and sand and stones which the waters had washed over them. Then, after that, God created the monster Mastodon and the mammoth and many other beasts which have since disappeared from the earth. And finally man was created to have dominion over the earth. For many centuries afterward, no one knew that the earth was once the place of immense trees and ferns and rank vegetable growth which had since been buried beneath the surface. But one day, some of the old. Buried vegetable matter was found and brought to the surface of the earth. By that time it was not green any longer. It was hard and compact and looked very much like black stone. Someone seemed to think it would burn if fire were applied to it. And, strange to say, it did burn. Thus was coal discovered. Ever since then, we have been digging from the depths of the earth the coal which was deposited there in those ages of the past. And it is blessing the world everywhere. With the broadside of your black crayon. Quickly cover the vegetation of figure 72. Then, with broad strokes of the orange chalk, or with a combination of the yellow and the red, draw the flames, completely covering the Sunday and finishing figure 73. Coal is now the chief of the elements which bring warmth to our homes, our places of business and everywhere that we are spending our time indoors. It is the great factor in our great manufacturing and transportation enterprises. God laid it all up for us millions of years ago. Thus do we find a splendid example of what real service island Jesus came to the earth to be of service to the world. When he departed, he left behind him the command that the gospel should be preached to every creature that the light and warmth from his life should not remain buried in us but that we should take that warmth to every portion of the earth, that it might, like the hidden sunshine in the coal, bring life to those in the cold and darkness of heathenism. Not many of us are able to carry this word to foreign lands or to the distant parts of our own land, but we have an important part in it in contributing our money, our encouragement and our prayers, and not only may we do this but we may begin right here in our midst to make our school and church a missionary blessing to those nearby ones who need its warmth, remember that we are ambassadors, therefore, on behalf of Christ, as though God were entreating by us, Johnny Appleseed, Boys Day Devotion Story of the Man Who Braved the Dangers of the Wilderness to Bless the Early Settlers, the lesson that the influence of a well-spent life is its best and most enduring monument.
it always adds fame to a good name. The story of Johnny Appleseed is dear to the hearts of thousands of boys and girls throughout America. The writer has listened interestedly to narratives of the late George W. Brackenridge, of Fort Wayne, and who remembered clearly the visits of Johnny to his early home. The story is abundant in good lessons, and ought to be of special interest on Boys' Day. The talk. I am going to talk to you today about a man who paddled his canoe along the rivers in the Middle West and roamed the wild forests when there were very few settlers in that country and while the hostile Indians brought terror to the hearts of many who had braved the dangers of the frontier. This sounds like a dime novel tale, doesn't it? Yes, but it is a true story. It is the story of Johnny Appleseed. How many of you ever heard of him? Govern yourself in the following remarks. By the acquaintance of your audience with the subject. It was in the year 1801, that John Chapman then a young man of 26 years, aroused some interest by appearing with several sacks of apple seeds which he had procured from the cider mills in western Pennsylvania. The first orchard he planted was on the farm of Isaac Stadden in Licking County, Ohio, and, from this beginning, his enthusiasm developed until he decided to go all through the wilderness as far as he could reach and plant apple orchards wherever they could be made to grow. One day a lone settler near Marietta, Ohio, saw a strange craft floating down the Ohio River. The boatman was John Chapman, but from that time forward he was known as Johnny Appleseed by the settlers between the Ohio River and the Great Lakes and as far west as the territory which is now the state of Indiana. I will draw a map to show you where he was and where he went. In the drawing of the map, which island in reality, at the last, the branch of an apple tree, Use brown crayon for the rivers and green for the orchards, carrying the drawings forward as the various points are mentioned. Strict accuracy has not been observed in the map drawing. Here is the Ohio River, where he first appeared. Draw the Ohio River. Do not label the rivers. The names are given for your guidance only. He had two canoes tied side by side, and they were filled with apple seeds. He paddled against the stream as he turned his canoe into the Muskingum River, and then up into the Wallowing River and then into the Mohican and finally into the creek called the Black Pork. It took a long time to go this short distance, for he stopped off every little while to find suitable places in the wilderness to plant apple seeds, and these, of course, grew up, in later years, to fruitful orchards. Draw the orchards in green. Your drawing will now resemble figure 74. This was but the beginning. From that time until Johnny Appleseed was 72 years of age he devoted his life to converting the waste wild land into orchards. During the War of 1812 he warned settlers against the Indians and helped to save many lives. He dressed in skins and was respected by the Indians, who considered him a very wise medicine man. Many trips he made back to Pennsylvania, whenever his seed supply was exhausted. In every rude cabin home which he visited, Johnny Appleseed read the scriptures and hundreds were helped to better lives through his teachings. He was noted for his gentleness and kindness. He died, in 1847, near Fort Wayne, and, here was a man, boys, who devoted his life to helping others. Dr. Hillis, of New York, has woven his life into a most beautiful story. The quest of John Chapman, and others have sung his praises in verse and narrative. Let us learn from him the lesson of devoting one's life to making other people happy. I will add a few lines to indicate all that John Chapman tried to do. Add apples in red, converting the map into a branch bearing apples. Figure 75. But he did vastly more than this. He brought brightness into many a heart during his long years of fullness. And while he helped to make the Middle West a fruit-growing country, 
The real fruit of his work was that of helpfulness, sympathy and brightness through Christ, who guided him in his strange work. A sower went forth to sow. If the kind of ground in which he sowed did not bring forth fruit, it was not the fault of the tireless sower. Public Sentiment Home Department Day Unity It is a powerful element and illustration for Home Department Day. The lesson that the earnest prayers and work of the stay-at-home members are a great inspiration to the active workers in the school. Home Department Day in the Sunday School may be made a most helpful event in the life of the school and in the lives of those who do not enjoy the privilege of attending the services regularly. Many who are usually employed on Sunday, in hotels, boarding houses, railroad positions, and the like can oft-times arrange to attend the session prepared especially for them. It is assumed that you have been supplying the members of the home department with lesson helps, and that you have kept in touch with them. Souvenirs may be sent to invalids and aged people as well as to other members who cannot be present. The colors are purple and white, the flower, the violet, the chalk. I am going to draw for you today the portrait of one who exerts the most powerful influence in this community. Draw the outline of the head omitting the facial lines, figure 76, but before I finish the portrait I want you to know that if it were not for this one we would never have had our beautiful parks or our magnificent courthouse, it was he who attended to the paving of our streets, we would have had no public library but for him, there would have been no public schools here, and no church spires would be wanting heavenward, if he had not sanctioned them, we would never have had our waterworks system, our sewerage system or our electric lights. In short, we never would have had any of the great public benefactions but for him. And I am sorry to add, too, that we would never have had any saloons but for him. Draw the letters composing the words, public sentiment, completing figure 77. Yes, this is public sentiment. And what is public sentiment? I think it may be described best as the expression of the will of the greatest number of people in a community. It is the voice of the majority. It is only when people want things that they get them. As the years go by, the people themselves are becoming more and more mighty in directing the work of those whom they have chosen to represent them. A contractor is not the builder of a public library or a public school. These are built by the people who are united in sentiment for a library or a school. The contractor is only the hired man who does the bidding of the people. The residents of a city themselves bring into existence beautiful streets magnificent public buildings and ideal health conditions, or else they bring to themselves the saloon and other degrading institutions, all depending upon public sentiment. And so it is with the church and the Sunday school. The human factor which keeps this school prosperous comes not from the superintendent or the officers or the teachers alone. Its success is due largely to the public sentiment outside of the school. It is the sentiment of the fathers and mothers of these boys and girls, many of whom, while their hearts are with us, cannot attend the sessions regularly. It is the sentiment of you who are so loyal to us and whose prayers for the school have been so effective. It is the sentiment of you members of the home department who have shown in every way the appreciation of the school. The knowledge that you are with us is a powerful help. During the dark days of the Civil War there were two armies fighting the battles of the North and of the South the army that was in the field and the army that stayed at home. The great silent partners in the awful conflict. The latter was composed largely of the noble mothers and sisters, whose daily prayers ascended to heaven while their sad hearts and nimble fingers provided the comforts for the brave boys at the front. So, with the members of the home department, we have come to think of you as silent partners in the work of our school, and as occasion develops, we want you to feel that here is your place of activity your school, 
but we shall remember the words of Paul, we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office, and we shall not forget the important places in our school of those who are enrolled in our home department. The brook gossip our words the life which is tainted by the habit of speaking and kind words falls short of its highest mission. The lesson that the subtle practice of speaking carelessly concerning other people poisons many an otherwise worthy life. The teacher who leads the child to cultivate the strictest care in his thoughts and in his words, as they relate especially to those about him, has helped to lay the foundation of a life of true worth to his fellows. The tendency is toward a habit of fault-finding criticism which not only harms the object of the disparaging words, but which injures and undermines the fullness of the life of the habitually unfair critic. The talk. Marion Lawrence, whose influence permeates much of the work for the advancement of the Sunday school of today, uses a most striking illustration to show the baneful result of the use of words which harm those about whom they are spoken. Standing before his audience, he displays a rose in full bloom. Mr. Lawrence then deliberately destroys the beautiful flower by removing one daintily tinted leaf after another until only the bare stem remains and the delicate petals litter the floor and the speaker's table. During the process, the speaker explains that none but God could have made such a rose, it speaks of his love and his power, of his tenderness and of his care for his children, but any human hand can destroy.